to another episode of Your Words Against Mine, a competitive reading podcast. I'm your sister co-host, Elizabeth Connor. I'm your brother co-host, Thomas Dixon. Alright, so we uh, back again. Just hit a milestone for the podcast, 2,000 uh, lifetime downloads. Woohoo! Which for a podcast that does little in the way of advertising, uh, I think is pretty decent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to future developments and looking forward to talking about what we've been reading. But before that, uh, you got anything else uh, on the docket that you want to bring up? Um, it has been, it has been a very busy time of year for me. Um, so I know I said, I'm pretty sure I said in the last episode that like, you know, things are starting to wind down. I now have 14 school days left right. before the end of the school year. And this past week was a doozy. Oh, man. Um, so one of my schools, it's the preschool, uh, we do this thing called May Day. And e- even though we don't do it on actual May Day, which is May 1st, we do it like the first Friday of May. Yeah. Um. And so, like, the like the May Day celebration takes place in the morning, and it's like, they have the, I don't know, they recognize the, the top two kids or the top boy and girl from each homeroom class who, like, sold stuff, like, sold the most stuff for their homeroom. Yeah. And they get recognized as, like, the prince and princess, and then they, like, crown a king and queen and all this stuff. And then the second mm-hmm. half is, like, they do a skit and a dance, and, oh, yeah, you can't have May Day without the Maypole. Well, right. I've been in charge of the Maypole dance, and I'm not going to get into all of the ways that this is probably, like, you know what, no, I can't I can't say it's been the most stressful thing of my career, but, like, preparing for this Maypole dance has been one of the more stressful experiences I have had since I've started working in this school district. Wow. Which really goes against, like, the whole image of a Maypole dance. Yeah, you know, Maypole dance, you're kind of like, oh, it's supposed to, you know be carefree and like the kids are having fun and like the kids were having fun and if it was just me teaching the kids and then we do it in front of people it would be fine it's other adults who get in the way Uh, that cause me to be stressed out yeah but it's 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 done now um that's good and i just have like a lot of due dates coming up well like i started a i started my gifted and talented endorsement for my certificate and I have assignments due by midnight tonight. Oh, okay. That, have I done any of them? No. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get them in there. I, yeah. It'll, it'll either happen or it won't. <laughs> Aw. Well, we'll get this episode, we'll make this a quick episode, and then you can get back to it. Well, we, we don't have to make it quick, because I've got other things that are going to pull me away from the work, so what's one more, th- you uh. know, like, don't, like, the podcast is not going to be what makes or breaks me. Okay. Well, uh, my, uh, <laughs> hadn't really had anything going on on my end. Just sort of keeping busy with the uh, job applications, uh, working around the house. I did a bit of um, paint stripping the other day on a that table we have by the door. Oh, outside? We put, yeah, a little bit of DIY there. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, did that thing where you can't find something, so you clean up like half your room trying to find it, and then you see it on a shelf. Yeah. 
that was me with my remote control the other day. Ah. Yeah, uh, apart from that thing. I mean, doing a lot of reading, really. Well, that's that's good. Uh, and I feel like I always remember things I could have mentioned after the fact or as the show goes on. Mm-hmm. But really, I feel like it's just been kind of quiet uh, the last week or so. Speaking of things you need so. things for remote controls, um, or things yeah. that require remote controls, uh, our TV broke. Oh, right. I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Um, so, thank goodness we had, like, saved our old TV and hadn't done anything with it. So, the only thing we had to really do was we had to go buy a, a Roku because... Okay. Do you... So, you had gifted us a, a Google Chromecast. Right. Well, um, the one that... You, well, that one that you gifted us, we have had for pretty much, I think, since we've lived in this apartment. Yeah, so about five so years probably now. five years um and you know as things with technology do uh the the general the version that we have has now kind of become obsolete oh that sucks so we had to go out and buy a roku because like we tried like trust me we tried we tried using the chromecast no. i get you and it just it was it didn't work so or it wasn't gonna work for the yeah. purposes we needed it to you know i wonder mom and dad's like fire stick has been giving them trouble recently and i wonder if that's not a planned obsolescence thing with that probably it probably is because it it's like you have to log into various apps and it just takes so long for like the feedback to register so yeah it's hard to know if you're even doing it right yeah eh, technology's weird it is weird so our tv broke we're i think we are going to plan to get another one um, cause the one that we're currently using, it's just, it's just smaller. The picture's not as good cause it's right. an older model, but like, you know, it'll get us by. Yeah. Well, uh, you want to get into some book talk? Yes. So I'm going to go ahead and say right now, um, I didn't read the book for the challenge. Okay. I, I feel like That's I just, fine. Did you... and I want to know, I want to let you know that like, I was real stressed about it. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, I didn't read this book, and Thomas is going to be so mad at me because I didn't read this book. No. And I'm a terrible person. Uh, obviously, it sounds like you had a lot, uh, much bigger fish to fry, so. And. Yeah, it's when, no problem at all. And when I did sit down to read, I wanted to read. So, I, you know, on the bright side, I read six other books. Well, that's fantastic. Which hasn't happened in several months. Yeah. Um, Definitely. But, but yeah, when I sat down, I wanted to read Fluff. I I don't really know anything about Confederacy of Dunces, but when I sat down to read it, it was just kind of like, nope, my brain can't handle this right now. <laughs> yeah, it's. I feel like it did start a little slow, which was uh, a reason that I, I started reading it, like I think the better part of a decade ago. Mm -hmm. Got about maybe two chapters in. Yeah. And then just fell off it. Whereas this time it, it was much... Once I got past that initial hump, it was a much more expedient read for me. So here's a question for you. When I was in high school, I remember, like, hanging out with my orchestra friends and stuff at rehearsals, especially, like, in, like, you know, late summertime, we're getting ready to go back to school. And yeah. I had a friend who had to read this book. Like, it was required reading. For a class? For, yeah, for high school. And I would say, like, so okay. maybe sophomore, junior high school? Yeah. Um, That's interesting. So since you've read it, and I guess we're going to just yeah. go ahead and talk about the challenge now. Yeah. Since I brought it up. So since you've read it, I, I'm assuming, 
Uh, yes. Would you say that this book has merit as a require as like high school required reading? Okay, that's interesting because it is award winning. Yes, and it is uh, critically acclaimed. Uh, it's sort of like one of those books. I guess you could say it's notable for, I guess, being ahead of its time. Because mm-hmm. for the listeners who don't know, Confederacy of Dunces, which is the book I assigned to talk about today, is uh, this novel by John Kennedy Toole. Uh, I believe it was published in like 1980, uh, 81 thereabouts. Mm-hmm. But it was published posthumously after Toole's uh, suicide. Mm-hmm. His mother took it to the... Um, to the author and professor Percy Walker mm-hmm. who wrote the the moviegoer okay and uh, he uh, read the book and got it published so and then it went on to win like a Pulitzer and what have you right so the plot of the book is you got your main character Ignatius J Riley who's like this uh, well he's a 30 something master's student who lives at home with his mom and is unemployed Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> you okay? I'm, I'm, I'm good. So it's uh, about this guy who's basically just li- mooching off his mom, do- doesn't have any direction in life, spends his days holed up in his room like writing a manifesto, essentially. Then after his mom is involved in a a drunk driving incident where she like causes property damage to this house that they've got to pay for the repairs he's forced to go out and look for work okay his journey is not as wide ranging as you might expect from the length of the book it's nearly 400 pages long but basically he just gets like a couple jobs prior to you know the culminating events of the book and the rest of it is more just like the various characters and intertwining narratives that play out around him. Uh-huh. It's, it's set in Louisiana in like the 1970s, I want to say. Because there's television, but uh, there's still like, I guess that old world sensibility you get where I say that. Basically, that just means that there aren't like cell phones and everybody's still reading newspapers and stuff. Okay. It's uh, very much a period piece, and you mentioned it as assigned school reading, mm-hmm. and I could see it maybe being assigned reading back in the day, but long story short, there are a lot of sensitive characterizations depicted in the book that I'm not totally sure would fly today. I'm not saying that they're overtly offensive, but they are very much like, I guess, a well-intentioned white author writing these characters um like one of the other go ahead uh yeah one of the other main characters is this uh oh goodness one sec i said i said i I forget i called him percy walker his name is walker percy oh okay the guy who got the book published there's a black character in the book named jones Uh who is introduced at the first chapter as having been picked up by the cops for vagrancy okay and he's forced into a janitor's job that he doesn't really care for and that sort of doesn't pay him very well and his boss is sort of verbally abusive he's i guess you'd call a secondary protagonist to the narrative 
Mm-hmm. And he's sort of like vaguely conscious of Ignatius throughout the story and his goings-on. He's sort of seeking this guy out sort of for his own purposes. Okay. And he's like a capable character apart from, I guess, just like the phonetic way that John Kennedy Toole writes out his way of speaking. There's nothing really offensive about him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just like that sort of depiction where it's not coming... At best, it's coming from second-hand experience. And you get that with other characters, too, like uh, elderly, mentally struggling uh, people of different sexualities, etc. Where, I guess, I guess passable would be the term, I would say. And whether or not you have a tolerance for passable yeah. is, I think, a big part of it. The oh. writing itself is very good. I mean, it, there's, it's largely dialogue-based. The plot is sort of, once it gets going, it does sort of bounce around pretty uh, frenetically and with the energy that makes it more readable. Mm-hmm. <coughs> And then I would say I really enjoyed the ending, which has like a poignancy to it that uh, doesn't betray the goofiness of the overall plot, but does sort of imbue it with more of a pathos. Okay. Um, yeah. So I realized I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> oh, what's up? <laughs> so you start talking about like what the book is about and... I per I like I per- I purchased a physical copy of the book because I had a I was I still had like a gift card from Christmas. I didn't even bother uh-huh. to read the back of it, but <laughs> okay. I'm sitting here going, hmm. He's not saying anything about time travel. <laughs> <laughs> what did you buy? No, I I bought a Confederacy of Dunces. Like that's the book I bought, but but the book that my friend had to read. For summer reading was, what is it? A con, is it a Yankee? A Confederate Yankee? Oh, a Confederate Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And I thought these two books were the same thing. Oh, wow. So I'm sitting here going, he's not talking about time travel. He's not talking about King Arthur. I don't think this is what I thought it was. Oh, man, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, because I would say, like, as esteemed as this book's reputation is, I do not see it as like required reading material. So when you said it had like like some kind of outdated descriptions or outdated like I, I guess ways of writing char- like diverse characters. Yeah. I, as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, I don't think this is the book that I thought it was. Right. But I, but for uh. okay, so I was today years old. <laughs> <laughs> I was today years old when I found out that a Confederacy of Dunces and a Confederate Yankee in King Arthur's Court are not the same book. That's 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 good. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> they are running you ragged over there. Oh, you have no idea. Oh, oh. I mean, I like I say, I really enjoyed the book. I gave it five stars on Goodreads. Uh, finished it the other day after uh, grilling up some burgers. Okay. It was, it's a good like lounge read. I guess apart from the merits of the writing itself, one of the more notorious aspects of the book is that it has been infamously plagued by failures of adaptation. Mm-hmm. By which that is to say that pretty much since its publication, pe- people have been trying to get like film adaptations of this book off the ground, and it's just never taken. Yeah. 
and the closest anyone has managed to achieve that I've seen was a stage production back in 2016 that I don't know that it ran for very long. But do you know who played the main character? Who? The guy on the cover of the book. Who? Nick Offerman. Oh. Yeah, the dude from, uh, from yeah, Parks Yeah, that... Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I saw there were production stills of it, and he had, like, the hat and the jacket and everything, and it was, looked spot on. Yeah. Uh, be interested to see, like, somebody take on that material again, but, uh... And, and you, you could... Uh, see why people would be compelled because it's very plot driven there's like a lot of big characters mm-hmm. a lot of dialogue it seems like the sort of thing that would lend to itself to being rendered in real life yeah but uh, I guess it's just I think the main problem is that the meandering nature of the story doesn't really lend itself to conventional like Hollywood structure it probably so, it, it could probably be uh, it could probably be done in like as like a like more of an indie film or a miniseries. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Oh. Um, but, so uh, that was kind of a good segue. Oh, yeah, but definitely. Be- but before I take advantage of your segue, you can go ahead and like say your final thoughts. Yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, John uh, Confederacy of Dunces, John Kennedy Tool. Uh, a advised recommend... Uh, an, an, a recommendation with an advisory, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, just sort of taking its uh, sort of tone and uh, context into consideration. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's uh, there's some good stuff in there. Okay. Um, I own the book now. I will read it since you gave it a glowing recommendation with an advisory. And now I'm going to take advantage of that segue about um, adaptations. Do you want to take a quick break before we... Uh move on to what the back half sure that's fine all right so uh yeah be back in a second and we're back with your words against mine a competitive reading podcast between siblings elizabeth has had a pretty banner reading couple weeks uh challenge notwithstanding and uh, before the break she was going to be segueing off some mention of uh film adaptations mm-hmm. with something she wanted to uh, talk about yeah, so because my brain has, because it's just been so stressful lately, um, like in my professional life especially, I come home from work, I don't want to like think about a whole lot of things. I want to consume fluff, okay? Sure. And I'll get to that. But part of that is also television, and I have had some more freedom to kind of watch like what I want to watch. Um, okay. So, I have restarted the second season of Bridgerton. Okay. And I, I'm further... I'm, I haven't finished it, but I'm farther along in it than I did the than I got the first time I watched it. And, uh, yeah, so the second season is based off of the second book in the Bridgerton, ser- Bridgerton series called The Viscount Who Loved Me. Right. And, and they are not... They are nothing alike. Okay. Like, the characters are... Well, I like mean... I know there's... Yeah, I was just going to say, I know that there's, like, some big departures in terms of uh, casting. Yeah. But I didn't know, um, like, uh, how the plot variants, what plot variants there was. Okay, so, like, you know, obviously the characters are the same. Like, you have Anthony, who's the Viscount. You have Kate, who is the main love interest. Kate has a sister named Edwina. Um, But that's kind of, like, where the similarities end between the book and the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because in the book... Like, 
Anthony is looking for a wife to be the Viscountess and to, like, you know, provide heirs and to also, like, become head of the household in terms of, like, managing the, the house, like, you know, the, the lady of the house is supposed to do. Um, yeah. And so, originally, he kind of sets his eye on Edwina because Edwina is, like, I don't know, 19, 20, 21, something like that in the book. And she's, like, very okay. beautiful and, 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 like, calm and, like, just kind of seems like the perfect little trophy wife. Yeah. And then her sister, Kate, is older. I think in the book she's maybe 24, you know, so a spinster. And in the show she's 26. And, like, Anthony and Kate butt heads. But then, obviously, like, the two of them become the romantic couple that's at the center of the book. And Anthony's involvement with Edwina is, like, let go of very early. Yeah. Well, in the series, or in the show, like, Anthony and Edwina, their relationship continues until very late in the season. Oh, wow. And, I mean, like, yes, Anthony and Kate are still the primary couple, but it's, like, this weird, like, love triangle thing that was never present in the original novel. Sure. And there are things that I like about this series, that I like about it. There are things that I don't. Like, uh, I've got two episodes left at the, in the show. Anyway, their their relationship has yet to become official. Okay. And there's two episodes left in the season. So, I you guess, think spoiler like, alert. You think they'll expand certain material from the second book out into the third season? I do. Now, that's another thing I wanted to touch on. The third, the third season of Bridgerton is not... Queen Charlotte, which came out on Thursday, this past Thursday. Okay. Because Netflix released a Bridgerton story, quote unquote. So it's like a side, like it's like a side story. um, And it's called Queen Charlotte, which in the book, as far as I, in the books, as far as I know, the queen is never like, is never a character. Right. But she is a very influential side character in the show. And she has become so popular that Netflix was like, oh, well, we're gonna make a, we're gonna make like, I guess a spinoff, a spinoff just for her. So okay. the spinoff is about Queen Charlotte, like when she and King George are, are meeting and doing their courtship and like getting ready to get married. Okay. So, um, but that that's is not, but that is not the third season of Bridgerton. That's just like a little extra thing. Okay. Right. Um. So yeah. So anyway, uh, I am enjoying it. I do love that. Kate and Edwina in the show are Indian. Oh, yeah. Um, Because, you know, in the book, they're obviously, like, British. And I think... Uh, And there's an Indian population... Or there's a population of, like, Indian immigrant in um, Britain, but that I don't think would have been much the case at the time of the novel, so it's probably meant more to reflect, like, modern demographics. Yeah, so the show never claims to be historically accurate. Right. And that I feel like that's pretty obvious because of the high number of prominent interracial relationships that take place in the show. Because Kate is um, is Indian by both her father and her mother's side, and then her mother had passed away. So then Kate's sister is technically her half sister, and Edwina is half neck and is half Indian, and then Edwina's mother is mixed like you know, people in, in, in the South considered mixed where you're like, you have a white parent and a black parent. Yes. So yeah, so lots of, lots of diversity going on. 
Yeah. In the Bridgerton universe. So anyway, well, I'm the, in the the TV show. The TV show. So um, I'm enjoying it so far, and when I finish this, I think I will watch Queen Charlotte. All right. The spinoff one. Um, okay, so yeah. that's that's all I wanted to say about that. So now I guess we can talk about the <laughs> other books. Yeah. <laughs> the other books that we read. All right. Uh, you've uh, you've read more other books than I have, so I'll lend you the floor. Okay. So the first two books are the the first two books that I read are the final two books in the series. Um, I have talked multiple times about the 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 book series Seven Brides for Seven Alien Brothers. Yes. And uh, so anyway, I have finally finished the series. That's cool. I, I read book six and book seven. Book six is called Frantor, and book seven is called Gilmat. Mm-hmm. So in book six, uh, the Frantor is like, so obviously he's like one of these brothers or one, you know, compatriots, whatever you want to call them. Um, but he yeah. was severely injured during the war that the brothers all participated in. Like to the point that right. he had, like he's very scarred. Um, he has a prosthetic arm that goes all the way from like his shoulder down Mm -hmm. so anyway because of his scarring and just he's got lots of insecurities so he doesn't like to be seen uh and he pretty much just keeps to himself well when the the, like two of his other brothers benjar and uh, i forget the other one's name um, when they like kidnapped all those women and brought them back to like be brides, like they gave one of them to Frantor and her name was Flory. And Flory is like a little bit older. She's divorced. She is a businesswoman. She owns a restaurant in the town. Flory and Frantor, they develop their relationship, but like the, the, the big issue that they have to overcome is, I guess, kind of helping Frantor through his insecurities about not wanting to be seen. Okay. Um, and then the last one is Gilmat and his, and Gilmat is like, uh, like he's a person, but he kind of has like some plant physical characteristics. Okay. Um, and he can, and like, he can control plants. Right. The, the, the girl that he is, I guess, given, uh, her name is Julie and Julie is extremely intelligent. Um, she, her mom just wants her to like get married and have babies. And Julie's like, no, I, I want to like go to college and get a degree and you know conduct research yeah and julie's uh, specialty in terms of her self-education is botany okay so that's kind of their common like their common footing and there's and their story there's like a little bit more like danger that's going on there's like a group of a native there's like this group of native species who like want to take over the ranch where they all live because of some i don't know because of some political reason yeah so anyway like they they have like their story involves like some more danger of like you know people might actually get hurt or you know they're being hostage type situations and stuff like that right um so yeah so those were those two books frantor and gilmat so i have finished seven brides for seven alien brothers by honey phillips that's cool and then I also read a trilogy. So the trilogy, it comes from Ice Planet Rendu. Okay. And it is... Any relation to the Ice Barbarians books? No, but it's very close. Oh, okay. Like, uh, I'm pretty... I don't even think they have... I don't think they're even written by the same person. But when I was reading it, I was like, yeah, this is giving off, like, Ice Barbarian vibes. 
Um, except yeah. there's no like crash landing and there's no parasite like that'll help you live there. There's none of that. Sure. So everything in this series and each book follows like a different brother. And I can't really, I can only remember the last two brothers names. I can't remember the first brother. Okay. In this, in this series of uh, the Rin, the Rindians who live on the planet Rindu, they yeah. found a Chinese satellite that had like gotten sucked into a wormhole they found this Chinese satellite and they thought that like earth needed it so they went to go return it and that's how that's how earth found out about aliens oh is because the Rindians were like here's your lost satellite yeah and so you know there has been like there's been all these diplomatic happenings and so when the series opens the there is a ship that is going back to Rindu and the ship not only has a Rindian uh, crew, but is also carrying 10 humans from a variety of specialties to, and those 10 humans are supposed to go to Rindu, complete as much research as they can for three months. And then on the mm-hmm. trip back to earth, they will like type up their findings and write their articles in their books. And when they get to earth, they will publish them. Okay. And obviously like things don't go as planned because people start falling in love with each other. Right. So, I know the first book, the girl's name is Adriana, and she is a anthropologist. Yeah. And then the second book, her name is Mika, and she is a um, zoologist. Yeah. And then the last book, the girl's name is Hane, and she is an astrophysicist. Okay. Um, that, this, is something, this is something else that's interesting. So, not only is it like humans and Rindians... But all of the yes. humans are from different countries. Okay. And That's the cool. way and the way that they're all able to communicate is when the Rindians came to Earth, they started passing out translators. That nice. like you just stick in your ear and somebody talks to you and the translator translates what they're saying like right there on the spot. So everybody can okay. s- Yeah, so everybody can speak their native language and they will still be understood. Yeah, like uh what do you call them? Those uh, earworms that uh, from Animorphs? Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, Hitchhiker's Guide. I was going to say, yeah, but no. I was, yeah. Yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There are these uh, worm things. or No, they're fish. There's a kind of fish that you can put in your ear. It, that That's where the website named Babel. I mean, obviously, Babel has, like, more broader connotations. I believe that the name came from the Babel fish, which was the fish from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that when you put it in your ear allows you to understand every oh. like language that you hear. Okay, cool. So like Adriana is Brazilian American, Mika is Japanese, oh. and Hane is Dutch. Okay, and they each get their own book in the trilogy. And they each get their own book in the trilogy, right. Now, is there like an overarching plot or is it just like the story of each character in each book? Um, so I guess the ov- there is kind of an overarching plot, so... The overarching plot is at the beginning of the first book, when they come back, a coup has occurred Uh um, on Rendu where the king was poisoned. His sister, who would be like next in line for the throne, is not of age yet. And so therefore she is being held hostage and there is a cabinet member who, the cabinet member who organized all of the assassinations that had to take place. Um, he has appointed himself as her regent. Basically, the overarching theme is this coup has happened. 
and then how do they get the appropriate powers back into power and then how do they make the necessary like political and cultural changes that need to take place that sounds interesting yeah it was pretty good it reminded me uh so it did remind me of ice barbarians um but it also reminded me of the cold dagger or black dagger brotherhood okay i don't know that i've talked about those books it's um it's 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 been a minute yeah it's a vampire romance series where oh oh, yeah no i think i remember that yeah okay where there's like this secret vampire war yeah. that's going on and then like each book is about a different couple all right so that's uh five of them and then the last one was kind of more of a novella um it was very very short it was like barely six thousand words oh wow and it comes from the creature cafe series it's the first book in the creature cafe series by cleo evans and it is titled little slice of hell no and it is a um it is a gay romance story between a human man and an incubus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Trigger warning, it does involve descriptions of sexual assault. All right. So is that, uh, those are your six books? Yep, those are my six books. Well, I had four other books I read on top of Confederacy and Dunces. Uh, there were two short story collections. The first one was called Some Trick by Helen DeWitt, uh, previously of the English Understand Wool. Uh, This is one I picked up at the library after purchasing The Last Samurai uh, up in North Carolina. It's uh, one of her, one of the few, like, published books that are by her that are widely available. And uh, it doesn't have that good a rating on Goodreads. It's only like a 3.36 or something like that. But I really enjoyed it. It's kind of like... If you're a fan of Wes Anderson films, you will be a fan of the stories in this book because they're all sort of like satirical jabs at upper crust, like living and corporate culture and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, that that one gets a strong recommend, as does uh, a book I did pick up in North Carolina, uh, Igifu, Mm -hmm. which is a short story collection. I'm sorry, I need to grab it real quick. Yeah. The name of the author is... Scholastique Mukasonga, and she, I believe, she is of uh, Rwandan descent, mm-hmm. and it is a short story collection set during and based around the uh, Rwandan genocide. Mm-hmm. It is a very heavy book. Yeah. You learn a good deal about indigenous Rwandan Tutsi culture and history. Okay. Also, just like the struggles of the people who like surviving and then surviving both the genocide itself or and then the their experiences post genocide of living with the trauma and trying to wrestle with it and what have you so it's a very heavy book but it's also it's very well written it's very beautiful in its message so okay uh that one gets a recommendation too then i had uh two more books two novels the shorter one or i guess they're both about the same length. Uh, the first one was uh, the opulence of the birds of opulence by Crystal Wilkinson, and it is a story set in like it goes from the 1960s to the early 90s, mm-hmm. and it's it's about this country town called Opulence where uh, these two girls, Mona and Yolanda, are born, both of them to mothers who are sort of like viewed as outcasts mm-hmm. within. Um, their community 
Uh, Mona's mother was like a widow when she gave birth to her, so nobody really knows what the situation there was, mm-hmm. apart from it just being some guy. And uh, Yolanda's mother, Lucy, like is part of an extended family who have like a history of, if not mental illness explicitly, then like very big hang-ups and interpersonal issues. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Lucy, her mother, Tukey, and Tukey's mother, Minnie Mae. Okay. So they were all, like, very young when they had children, and so there's, like, four generations of people living in the same house. Oh, okay. And uh, it's just each chapter, I think the longest chapter is only about, like, ten pages long. Okay. each, like, overarching unit, I guess, takes place in a different year. Some years you only get, like, a single chapter. Some you get several. But uh, you go from basically the birth of Yolanda and Mona to like 94 when they're both adults and a lot of the family members have passed away. Yeah, it's just sort of about the experience of small town life, uh, specifically uh, through the lens of uh, black community in the 1960s onward. Okay. And uh, yeah, so that I, I quite enjoyed that. It's a book, it's very well written. I feel like I was compelled to only give it a three when I first finished it because, I don't know, it just didn't feel that sticky as far as, like, events and stuff in my mind. Mm-hmm. But then, but the more I thought about how I felt while reading it, I feel like that it's a more substantial book in the act of that. Okay. So that gets a strong recommendation, too. And speaking of uh, Vibes books, the last one I want to mention is... The Besieged City, which is uh, the third novel by one of my favorite art, uh, authors, Clarice Lispector. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, the book that almost ended her career because it's basically just about a young woman growing up in the city of uh, Sao Guanado, mm-hmm. Guan- Guadino. It's a fictional city, I believe. There's a lot of metaphors about horses. And it's basically about just like about the development of urbanization and what have you. Okay. It's a very oblique book Mm -hmm. and its language is very convoluted. There's almost a confounding relationship to punctuation, whereas sometimes you'll get sentences where you have to kind of fill in the commas and whatnot yourself. Mm -hmm. Just like reread it to even understand what like the grammatical nature of the words is. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was all written intentionally, but uh, there's a lot of, the the edition that I had had a lot of very interesting, like, contextual framing for it, because apparently it was published, there was one edition that was published back in, like, 48, and then Mm -hmm. the most recent edition was republished in 64, and the translator who had both editions available to them like just went through the book and realized that f- almost fully half of the text in the book had been changed mm-hmm. between those different editions. On its initial in- reception, Clarice Lispector, who I guess had been earning a reputation as a writer up to that point, was sort of roundly rejected. And then she married uh, a guy and moved up to Washington, who was just out of the writing career for like a good half a decade or so. Mm-hmm. But then at some point in the 50s, she divorced her husband and took her children back to uh, Brazil. There she stayed and sort of like became a great South American author. 
uh, for the next three decades. Okay. So I've talked about a couple of her books before, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll be hearing about more in the future. Like I said, this one was kind of a more taxing, I yeah. guess, in terms of the way it's written. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just, I like with all her other books, I just find the way she writes very compelling. Yeah. So. I just remembered a seventh book that I read, um, but it doesn't count for the word total. Oh, what was it? Because it's a graphic novel. Um, and that was Nimona. I reread Nimona. Oh, um, by nice. So, okay, I'm not going to say the author's dead name because the author has come out and publicly said that he no longer goes by that name. Um, so the author okay. of Nimona is uh, Nate Stevenson or Indy Stevenson. Um, okay. He's fine with either one, or at least that's what it says on Twitter because I just double-checked to make sure I got all my information right. Um, right. I read Nimona, like, years ago. And I'm trying to kind of... Anyway, so I picked it... I found my physical copy of it, and I uh, reread it. And I, nice. I still enjoyed it as much as I did the first time. That's cool. I think if you purchase a more recent publication of Nimona, it does have Nate's name on it. It either says Nate Stevenson, or it says Indy Stevenson. The, the, yeah. pub, the edition that I have um, has their dead name on it. Yeah. Um, so I guess if I were to ever take a picture, I would just need to like cover up the first name. Sure. Um, but yeah, so. You still enjoy it? I still enjoyed it. That's good. It yeah, I've read good. it before too. Did you hear about like the the awful like production hell that that um, movie adaptation has been in? I've heard. I mean, like, I've heard. I've kind of heard like off and on that it, like something was going to be done with it. I, I think the latest I've heard is that. A France production, com- a French production company, is putting it out on Netflix. Yeah, but that's like the thing because Netflix has had so many animated projects uh, get off the ground and then just get canceled before they could cross the finish line. Uh, I feel like whatever version of Nimona we're getting, if we get it at all, remains to be seen. Will be the third or fourth iteration mm-hmm. in terms of attempted productions. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, hopefully it won't be like The Thief and the Cobbler, where you could tell visually that it had gone through, like, however many different hands. Right. Well, basically, they just took this ongoing production that the guy was working on and then just fast-tracked it to get it out in theaters around the same time that Aladdin (laughs) uh, was popular. So there's, like, that extended edition of (laughs) that that consists of, like, 30 or 40 percent storyboards and animatics yeah yeah um that that movie the thief and the cobbler that was my first experience of like i loved this as a child and then i went to go show it to people as an adult and i was like oh this is terrible this is not good this ain't good (laughs) yeah and you know like i think the majority of the dialogue in that film was not in the original script right they were basically like, no, movies need to have, like, big-name actors with a lot of dialogue. Yeah. So we're going to take this movie you made and just... And then there was, like, a so- like this song in it, or there was, like, a couple of songs in it, so it tried to, like, be a musical, but it only yeah. had two songs in it? Yes. That was so weird. It was really weird, but I remember... But, yeah, I was living... Uh, I was in grad school, and I had two roommates, and... Like, my roommate, like, like, I, like everybody's home. So, like, my roommates are home. One of my roommates' boyfriend was over 
and we're going we're scrolling Netflix trying to find something to watch and the thief and the cobbler comes by and I'm like we have to watch this this was my <laughs> this was one of my favorite movies as a child and then we're watching it and I'm like this is really bad yeah that's rough so that's uh that's all my reading for this week yeah that's all my reading you got word totals ready to go I sure do all right let's hear them okay so hold on I gotta pull it back up it went away all right so i'll go then no i got it i got it up so since our last episode i have read 283,422 words um which brings my year-to-date total up to 1,841,801 words which puts me at 18.3 percent of my 2021 word count nice uh i read my my word total last time was 2,194,444 uh, after the five books I read in the last two weeks, or finished in the last two weeks, my word total is now up to 2,543,125, which puts me at uh, just over 57% of my 2021 word total. I did better, but I've still got a ways to go. Yeah, you'll get there. Oh, did we want to do our uh, bingo card now or later? Oh, yeah, we can do it now. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put down Confederacy of Dunces for Pulitzer Prize winner. Okay. Um, I want to put down Gilmat from Seven Brides for Seven Alien Brothers by Honey Phillips mm-hmm. down for published in 2023. Okay. Because I think it came out in like March. Okay. Well, you still only got the one bingo. Okay. Did and, we... Uh, did we, we ever... Ne- we still... We didn't... We never did settle on what the thing for bingo was going to be. Uh, how about if you get a bingo, the other person has to buy you a book? Oh, I like it. Okay, so you so you owe me a book, right? Okay, and you'll good. owe me a book when I get one. Yep. All right. So yours was Alrighty. Confederacy of Dunces for a Pulitzer Prize winner. Yes. Let me. Okay. Yep. Still no bingo. Still two away from a bingo. Okay, dope. That takes care of all that. Now we've just got our uh, uh, next book assignment to go. Yes. And I'm gonna hook you up with this one. I've got a book that, as far as I can tell, apart from just buying it outright, it, or like buying an ebook of it outright, is only available via Kindle Unlimited. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It is a book by Ian F. Martin, and it is called Quit Your Band Musical Notes from the Japanese Underground. Ooh. Ian F. Yeah, so. Is it Ian F. Marvin? Martin. Martin. Oh, no wonder I didn't get anything. Alrighty. Yeah. Uh, J-Rock and stuff like City Pop has been having a moment in recent years. So mm-hmm. this looks like it'll be an interesting, interesting read. Yeah. Um, according to Amazon, you can pa- you can buy a paperback version. Well, I figured it would just be more convenient to do it like Kindle Unlimited. Oh, version. yeah. No, no, no. 100% will be more convenient. Oh, and that, I guess, will also coincide with uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander Month. Yeah, look at that. That's all the housekeeping taken care of. I hope your workload gets lighter in the weeks to come. Yeah, um, so at this point it's just like state testing and then in terms of like extra stuff that I actually have to prepare kids for, the last week of school was like end of year programs and kindergarten graduation. Uh, Okay. But like I've been doing that stuff since I started teaching. So I'm like, I'm used to that. I know what to do. Unless adult again, again, unless adults make my job harder than it needs to be, 
I anticipate being right. okay. Well, that's cool. We thank you all for listening in on another week's episode. Elizabeth, you can let them know where they can find us. Yeah, you can find us on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Literally Club at Your Words Podcast. You can find us on our mm-hmm. website at yourwordspodcast.com. And you can send us a suggestion, comment, or question to yourwordspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be back again this time in a couple weeks. uh, As we have been and as we will be. Goodbye. Goodbye.